Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera news updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Emily Nicola, columnist and host of our podcast Detour. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. On the show today, Emily, a story about criminal charges, a lawsuit against the press, leaked tapes suggesting a huge overreach of power. Could a certain populist politician have finally gone too far? Yes, we are going to talk about Alberta Premier Danielle Smith. And enough is enough in Quebec. We are going to talk about a defiant open letter demanding an end to the toxicity in political discourse, which has been signed by hundreds of scholars and writers. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Thank you. It's going to be fun. We're discussing Canada's two best provinces, basically. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to everybody by David Bellarive, Lauren Elizabeth Wilton, Mike Miller, Andrew Dennison, Zach Brown, Keith Denning, James Collars, and Marcus. Hi, friends. I'm Marcus, a freelance journalist from Toronto, and I support Canada Land because the team and guests are full of smart, thoughtful, funny journalists who consistently do good work and help me understand the country a little better. A big shout out goes out to Commons. And even when I disagree with someone, I'm screaming at my phone. I'm having a good time and I keep coming back for more. The network gives me hope for the future of journalism and I love supporting a local business. Keep up the good work. Emily, I have been criticized for being too dismissive of CanCon, of the entertainment that we produce in Canada. Right. It's something that people have said about me. And I think, I think sometimes people are right, you know, sometimes just because it's Canadian doesn't mean that it's worse than the American stuff. Sometimes the Canadian stuff is, is actually more entertaining. This past week, oh my God, everybody was glued to the Trump arraignment. It was so boring. But if you're looking for the good stuff... Look no further than Alberta politics. New accusations of Alberta's premier possibly meddling in legal cases. Tonight, the leaked phone call raising new questions about Alberta's premier. The premier says she is ready to trigger a defamation lawsuit against the CBC. Emily, Quebec has a rep for being a bit wacky. Yeah, but not like that. We have, we're no. a different kind of wacky. <laughs> have you been following this one? Yes, I have. It's a very, I'd say, yeah, the word you use is wacky. I'd say it's very exotic in a way. It's very American style. We've had scandals like that in Canada, obviously, but there's something about Daniel Smith specifically as a personality that is very unique. (laughs) Let's put it this way. It's just so good. It's so good. Help me take people through this. I'm going to tell the story. Jump in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because not everybody's been following. No, because we ignore Alberta, but really you're missing out. You're missing out if you have been ignoring this one. So there's like some background here, which is like, who is Danielle Smith? And, you know, why is she premier of Alberta? She like was heading the Wild Rose Party, which was never going to win. And like, she's the premier. And the way she became premier is that Jason Kenney of the United 
United Conservative Party, was not conservative enough when it came to vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. He was too much for actually doing something about COVID for Albertans. And she campaigned and she never won an election because if you win leadership of the UCP, that's what got you to be premier. Danielle Smith got back on the scene by excoriating the government for having vaccine mandates at all and for promising to pardon people charged under vaccine mandates. Like, this is how she campaigned. She went around the province telling everybody there are good people who are being charged with these vaccine mandate, you know, charges and pastors. She specifically mentioned pastors as the good people who she's going to pardon once she becomes premier. It worked. That's one of the things that makes it so American and exotic and weird to me, because like the whole notion of pardoning, like what are we like? That's not that's not a Canadian thing. Like the premiers cannot just pardon people. Like the pastors are not turkeys. Like it's not. Like it's, not <laughs> it's just not the wrong country. You get the wrong legal system already. Like figured out right in, at the top of the story. But that's my favorite thing is that she didn't know that. I don't actually believe her. I don't think she was. I think she didn't know that. I think she thought. That, I think she thought that she could pardon them if she becomes premier. But what's the point of being premier if you can't pardon people? So then she becomes premier, and lo and behold, there's a pastor who's like, all right, let's go, premier. I want to be pardoned. And I'm talking specifically here about a pastor named Arthur Pulowski. And he's going to require a little bit of explanation as well. Okay. If you lived in Calgary, you'd see this guy screaming on the street. He was a street preacher. He's the pastor of the Cave of Adulam Congregation in Calgary. He previously led the King's Glory Fellowship, and he's the founder and pastor of Street Church Ministries, a group no longer recognized as a religious or charitable organization by the Canadian government. CRA revoked the charitable status of his King's Glory Fellowship, citing a lack of financial transparency and deeming the organization to be political in nature because of his church's stance on abortion, homosexuality, divorce, and other moral issues. Emily, if you look this guy up, he's a rabid bigot against queer folk. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of preacher he is. And he's also a separatist. He's a Alberta separatist. In September 2022, he became the leader of the Independence Party of Alberta, and he became a fiery advocate of the convoy. And he was charged with a bunch of vaccine mandate violations, but those were later stayed. But the criminal charges were for criminal mischief and for tampering with Alberta's criminal infrastructure at the the Coots border blockade, where he gave, I'm going to play a little clip here. Like, this is what he sounded like when he gave this speech. There's a price attached to freedom. How do you think the first war ended? Millions had to die. And that's the price that we have to be willing to pay if our children are going to have a free and democratic society. This is our time. And if this is our Alamo, so be it. So be it. Millions might have to die. Millions might have to die to protest the vaccine mandates. He's determined, all right. Oh, yeah. That's what led to him facing these criminal charges. But lucky for him, the new premier has promised to pardon pastors specifically. Here he is in this. This is what it's all about. He gets hooked up with a phone call with the premier. The first voice you're going to hear is another like separatist political guy. Like these are people on the fringes of Alberta politics, but arguably so is Danielle Smith before she became premier. (laughs) Oh, Jesse, that's so funny. (laughs) Here are these three charmers. 
I'm going to pause this as we go through because there's so many delicious moments here um, that just require a little bit of commentary. But here we go. So, Premier, I wanted to just uh, introduce this uh, concept because he does have a problem that he thinks you may be able to help out with. Nice to talk with you. I'm not sure if you've ever had a chance to talk before, but I've been watching your public advocacy for many years. So it's nice to connect with you. So I thank you so much for taking this time. As you are aware, I am still on house arrest facing oh, 10, 10 and a half years of imprisonment for my speech in Kuds. And of course, that's very concerning to me um, because I came to a conclusion that I don't think I have an option except to start swinging your way uh, because of the promises that were never fulfilled. Okay, let's pause there for a second. Yeah. This guy, you were ready to die for your cause. Now you don't have any option but to swing the way of your political opponent. You're a separatist leader. You hate this government and you want to secede from Canada, but you're going to swing the way of the premier because of promises for clemency that were never fulfilled. I don't know about this guy's conviction after all. Those are the red flags. <laughs> don't trust this type in general. It doesn't have to be pastor. It doesn't have to be about politics. When you see a person like that, just don't trust that. <laughs> yeah, he's facing 10 years of prison. And and I, I got to say, you got to feel a little bit bad for Daniel Smith. She's on the phone with these two like separatists. One guy's criminally charged. And, you know, she's later betrayed. Someone's recording this call and it later gets uploaded to this pastor's YouTube page. Who could have guessed when you're dealing with two savory characters like this, that someone would violate your trust in such an egregious way mm. for the poor premier. Because mm. look, she's actually quite sympathetic to this guy. She says so. We're in a bit of a bind because what we discovered in how our justice system works is they don't really have the power of clemency the way a U.S. president or a governor in the United States has. It's not quite the way our system works. <laughs> oh no, she found out. <laughs> No, it's sad. You're laughing. I think it's sad. It's actually, it's it's just like so like, I mean, you're a premier and you just found that out. I don't even know where to start. It's the darndest thing, Emily. I, this is what we're discovering about how our justice system works. This is how it goes. You become premier and then you discover that you can't just pardon people. It's, uh, this is the darndest thing. I, it's not like being the president of the United States. It's not like it at all. I don't have private jets. I, uh, like, they won't make me whatever food I want. If this is not the, what I thought I was signing up for here. Yeah, you're not even headed state on paper. Let's go on here. Once the process is underway, I can ask our prosecutors, is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction? And is it in the public interest? And I assure you, I have asked them that almost weekly. Okay, we have to break there. She can't just pardon him. Yeah. But she can ask are prosecutors. She can ask them, just asking questions. Is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction and is it in the public interest? And she says, I can assure you, I have asked them that almost weekly. Yeah, well, you're saying she can ask. I mean, she says she can, but she can't, <laughs> but she's doing it. But that's, I guess, that's the part where it's not funny anymore. I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, how much of that is pure ignorance and incompetence and how much of that is the person just not giving a damn about the actual rules how ignorant is she at that point when she's making that call i mean i actually have to correct you emily okay because you know who says that you actually can't ask the prosecutors mm. premier daniel smith she has since acknowledged that 
you can't ask the prosecutors. Right. Is there a reasonable likelihood of con- you, the, the premier cannot call the actual prosecutors? Yeah, that's right. That, she, that, that, that that's incorrect. So, uh, you know, contradicting Premier Daniel Smith is Premier Daniel Smith. And in fact, it's the lying media, really. The CBC first reported this leaked phone call and she is threatening them with legal action because she says there is no evidence that I asked the prosecutors anything. And maybe she's got a point because the only evidence, the, like it's bad sourcing. The only source for that claim is Premier Daniel Smith. No, what she said is I misspoke in that phone call right. with, the, with the pastor. When I said that I spoke to the prosecutors almost weekly, I was imprecise. If I was more precise, the more precise statement would be that I, I had phone calls with the justice minister, a completely different person and his deputy almost weekly. It was a matter of precision. There was a lack of precision when I said the exact wrong thing. That's what she says now. But it's something that I remember uh, was also going on last year when there were the conversations on the Sovereignty Act in Alberta of what it would be in there, what wasn't be in there, and what would be the consequences of there. It seems to be a pattern and a habit for Daniel Smith to just be, no, I didn't say that. And just like, wait for people, like basically gaslight journalists into thinking that she didn't say what she said or just changing her version all the time. And it's made it very difficult, actually, for, for journalists who are local to Alberta to actually follow up. She's doing that in this story, but she's done it before. And it's something that's becoming, at this point, a kind of a personality trait of her tenureship as premier. It's, it's just like changing her version of the what she said. I know I didn't say that. I misspoke. I was misunderstood. And this is not the first time she, she's been doing that in, in her interactions with journalists. It's a hell of a thing that when you're premier, you can't just sort of say things. Like, people are like... But you said the thing. And she goes, well, I said the thing, but not that thing. You know, like this is all like you're all being very literal about this and it's not it's not okay. This is just remarkable. And she goes on to also say that, yes, she also has been speaking to the deputy minister. Here's what she says. But I have also raised it with the deputy minister and let him know my dissatisfaction with the tactics. So um, can you just leave this with me and I will make that request one more time. But if I can just maybe make that inquiry one more time, but I, I'll need it, I'll need until next week to be able to do that. Yes, I'm very sympathetic. I think this is it's very frustrating to me that we here we find ourselves. Everybody in, has moved on from COVID, and we're dealing with a bunch of charges. And this is the thing I find very frustrating is that they were a, pol- a political decision that initiated this. But it can't be a political decision to end it. That's what I'm finding very frustrating about the whole thing. Well, that is frustrating. Isn't it frustrating, Emily, that like politicians, legislators can create legislation, but they can't use their political power to control who that legislation applies to and who it doesn't. That must be frustrating for politicians. There's some separation of power left in this country, and it's like so <laughs> it's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, There's obviously an election coming up, right, in Alberta, uh, for those who are not aware, May 29th. And so, yeah, how do you think that's going to play out? We're less than two months away from an election and this is blowing up. Well, I think that that's why the letter to the CBC demanding that they remove their fake-ass reporting that she interfered based on this dubious sourcing. I don't know. I'm no legal expert, but I don't know if there's any, like, civil laws that are more abused than libel and slander laws. And, you know, she hasn't filed the suit yet. It's just the threat of it. But, you know, Mm -hmm. just this, like, 
this reflexive knee-jerk thing of like, she's actually going to have to face an electorate uh, if she wants to keep her job. So what do you do in blaming the media for like actually listening to your own words? You threaten to sue them with libel and defamation or you sue them for libel and defamation. And like, I cannot imagine a more airtight case for the media than the CBC's case in this instance. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, for like a few hundred bucks, she can file a suit and they're going to have to go and spend thousands of dollars and put the system through this whole thing. I don't know if she's going to go through with it, but the point is just it's a speech act. The idea is that by doing that, she's saying like those people have been lying about me and my reputation is pristine essentially is what is what she's saying is so I don't know that there is a point for her to follow through maybe if she loses the election she's going to say it's CBC's fault obviously but usually when politicians do something like that it's because there's a calculation of how they think it's going to play with their voters but there is absolutely nothing in the story that feels calculated at all. And that's the thing. It's is that it seems just to be a person that's just out of control. So that's why it's so Donald Trumpy in a way, because it's it's just a person acting on ego and self-defense and instinct and just like ignorance of the rule of law. She's shooting in her own foot consistently as a premier, right? And so because she just doesn't know how the system works, it seems she's like winging it being the premier of a province. <laughs> <laughs> And so usually I'd be, as an analyst, I'd be like, so here is why she's probably doing that. There's probably some advisors thinking that, okay, if, you know, CBC is unpopular, obviously in Alberta, that's why a lot of conservative base is always threatening to defund it. So maybe they're, but I don't even think they're making those calculations. I just think that she's just, it's a knee jerk <laughs> reflex of like, you guys, I, uh, I'm perfect. Why are you coming for me? I, it doesn't seem to go further than that. No. Obviously I'm not in my head, but, but it seems to be, you know, when people are exhibiting certain patterns of behavior, once again, she's been premier for a while now. I think you can see that there's some signs of her just not being in control politically of what her moves are and why she's doing them. No, this is like what it would be like if I were premier by some accident or something. You know, it's like this is like a Rodney Dangerfield movie. And, you know, I I hate that some of these things work and we do get like a little bit clenched. So if we haven't said it before, Mm -hmm. Premier Daniel Smith vociferously denies that what she told the pastor is true uh, when she said that she's (laughs) speaking to the prosecutors. She denies that she has ever spoken to the prosecutors and violated that that separation. So Mm -hmm, let's be mm -hmm. let's be clear about that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world. And BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash Once again, it's betterhelp.com 
slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Emily, it's time to duly note things. Uh, can I share a story that I think people should pay attention to? Yes, of course. I think a lot of people have paid attention to the fact that the mass casualty report has finally been released from the yeah. aftermath of the port mass killing. And it didn't pull any punches. It was excoriating. I'm always dubious as to whether or not these reports matter or, you know, I mean, there's some low-hanging fruit here, like the cops should have night goggles. The cops should share information and not have to use Google Maps in the dead of night. There's a lot of stuff here that, like, you'd hope that they'll listen to. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to duly note is one point in particular, and a recommendation of the mass casualty report has to do with the fact that the media were calling the cops when they first heard about this and asking for updates and asking for information so that we could inform people and keep people safe and got nothing. And the RCMP, of course, infamously, like they put out a tweet to whatever percentage of the population was following this on Twitter to let them know there was an active shooter situation. And of course, the media could have done a better job of letting people know, stay indoors, there's a shooter on the loose. So there was a recommendation that the RCMP's national communication policies should be revised to state clearly that the objective of the RCMP's public communications is to provide accurate information about the RCMP's operations and in particular to respond to media questions in a timely and complete manner. And this is just endemic of policing across Canada. Mm. Our cops give nothing to the press if they don't have to. It's like a complete day and night situation to when you're reporting in the States where they tell you in much more fulsome ways what's going on. And in this case, there might be like blood on their hands because of it. So like if nothing else is listened to from this report, I really hope that that not just the RCMP, but cops across the country stop looking at the media as their enemy in every situation and defaulting to giving nothing because we actually want to inform people to help keep them safe. That's a very important point. There's also this practice of just only giving information to media and media have been nice. Mm -hmm. It's like dangling carrots in front of media. And that creates a very tricky situation for a lot of journalists, where it's like if you're doing a report that's going to look bad for police, then you might not get information from police anymore. So that it's used as a ploy to have power over the narrative. And it's it's incredibly toxic. So thank you for noting that. Duly noted, Jesse. Emily, what, what have you today? I just wanted you to go watch this YouTube video now. It's been put on YouTube and it's on Instagram and it's everywhere. Last weekend in Montreal was held for the seventh year now an event that's called Gala Dynasty, which is basically like 
BET award for, for Quebec. And there was this video that was presented at the beginning of the gala that is essentially a satire of Black Panther 2. 2030. Au Québec, le milieu de la télévision vit des moments extrêmement difficiles. Les codes d'écoute sont au plus bas, surtout auprès des jeunes. C'est la catastrophe. And what it's doing is presenting the Quebec media industry and culture industry as people who are trying to mine what they call the divernium. Essentially, uh, they're just looking for diversity to put on the air. And the name of the video is Quebec. Conda. So Keb Conda is just not giving the divernium anymore because they haven't been responsible with it. So essentially, it's a way of criticizing how the media industry has been incredibly, well, I guess, in- exclusive and or just haven't treated the talent right when they've had access to it. But it's done in a way that's absolutely hilarious because essentially you have a Black Panther, a Canadian version of Black Panther now. And so it's obviously creating a lot of reactions. Even in the silence that it's creating, you're seeing that it's an reaction because people are just taking it in. It's actually hilarious that you have actually a full-blown, you know, short movie that was now created just to basically discuss lack of diversity in the media and on television, but in a way that's actually a satire and using Black Panther and just like... <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Go go check it out on, on YouTube. It's like Keb Conda, so like Keb as in the first letters of Quebec and then Conda as in Wakanda. And you can check it out. It's both hilarious and very informative about the current state of the industry and the tensions that are playing out in Quebec media. Keb Conda. I'll check it out. Duly noted. This episode is brought to everybody by... I did not know you'd be doing this, Emily. You're drinking it right now. This episode is brought to everybody by... AG1. I'm looking at Emily and she's drinking AG1 by Athletic Greens, as I do each morning. Tell me uh, how you're enjoying your AG1 by Athletic Greens. It's very tasty. You know what? I love a good concept. And the thing is that this is made in New Zealand and it actually tastes like kiwis. (laughs) Very nice. I love the taste. It's really nice. Minerals and vitamins. These are things that we need. And it's it's an all-in-one supplement solution. What I love about AG1, it takes the guesswork for me out of making sure that I'm getting the stuff that I need. I don't have to scrutinize the backs of labels. I don't have to buy a ton of different little bottles of things. You take one scoop of AG1, mix it with water, down it in the morning, and you know you're doing something good for your body. Be like Emily. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. That's athleticgreens.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Emily, I'm so glad that you're with us here today because this really remarkable open letter was published in Le Devoir the Quebec newspaper, which uh, you write for. You're not an author. I'm not the one who made that published, no. (laughs) You didn't write this letter, nor are you among the almost 400 people who signed it. And it's like a who's who of uh, scholars, academics, writers. I'll confess, I I noted like Charles Taylor's name, but there's a lot of... uh, French Canadian names. Yeah. I mean, there's comedians, there's some actors that have been, you know, pretty well known in, the, in Quebec television. There's, yeah, obviously some media personalities as well. Uh, there's Penelope McQuaid, who's the host of the, I guess, the current, the French version of the current. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of names in there. If you have an eye for who's who in Quebec media and culture and uh, universities, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of names there. Yeah. It really came across as like, this is civil society with like a cry from the heart here. And can you tell everybody what this letter said? 
Okay, so there's a context of, it's now been two weeks. At the end of March, there's this guy called Gilles Prou, who has been a fixture of private radio in Quebec for decades. And he was on Cube Radio, which is the Quebecor web mm-hmm. radio, with host Richard Martineau, who is one of the, or if not the most well-known columnist in Quebec, who's also a Cube radio host. And he said, while he was on air, he insulted the members of the Quebec Solidar Party, the members of their, the caucus, so the, basically the MNAs, even said comment that sounded like vague threats against them, like they shouldn't exist. It was not the first time that he did that. He also said something to that effect to the members of the caucus of the Quebec Liberal Party. But Quebec Solidaire reacted that time and said, you know, you cannot have a person on the air saying things that sounds like death threats to MNAs and people not reacting. This is over the line. Reading a translation of the letter, uh, Gilles Prou said that members of Quebec Solidaire are bastards and gangrene and that members of the Liberal Party are to be shot. That created a whole uproar, except for the Parti Québécois, the three MNAs that are left. There was almost a unanimous motion at the National Assembly to condemn that guy. Even the premier, so the CAQ, the, the leading party, came out and said, OK, we need to be careful about what is said in the media in Quebec and Gilles Proulx needs to, you know, he needs to apologize. Uh, and there's been a lot of pressure for him to be taken off the air. But it has created a broader conversation because at the same time, another person working from Quebec, one of their other stars, Mathieu Bocoté, wrote also a column using basically a, a podcast that he heard taking a quote out of context in that podcast, accusing Léa Clermont-Dion. She's a pretty big personality, in, especially in Quebec feminism, and, and basically calling her an anti-white racist. She's white, by the way, and wrote a whole column basically saying that she went over the line, she's anti-white racist, and here's why this person is, etc. So Léa Clermont-Dion reacted on her Instagram and on social media, essentially saying, this is also over the line. You cannot, like, you can criticize my idea, but like this kind of name calling is maybe libel and that I'm going to be looking at my options, essentially, is what she said. And so that created a whole bunch of reactions from other people who had been the target of such tactics that are not MNAs, that are not elected officials, because mostly the conversation on in terms of, you know, people throwing, saying things that, that lead to violence has been very limited, not just in Quebec, but across this country, a lot of the time to either elected officials or journalists. But what we've been seeing, and especially if you look at the links, there's a lot of hyperlink in the in the letters that are giving examples of some of the other people that have that have been on the receiving hand of such treatment. And a lot of the links link to things that have been said by, I guess, most of them would be coming from either Mathieu Bocoté, Richard Martineau, Sophie Durocher, so some of the stars of Québécois, but they're not the only ones doing it. The letter is basically saying that, you know, there's been essentially a way of, instead of talking about ideas, you're just using your column and your tens, if not hundreds of thousands of followers to direct basically insults at private individuals who are either sometimes just tweeting, sometimes just making a media, a social media post, sometimes they're just on a podcast having an hour-long conversation, you're taking a quote out of context and you make it the worst thing that was ever said on air by misquoting that person and just calling that person a woke, uh, you know, threat to democracy, civilization, insulting, like the level of language that is then used creates a wave 
of insults coming from social media and death threats in a lot of cases that make people shut down their, their account and makes people basically disappear from the public sphere because they're just afraid of the consequences once they've been named as a target. And so this, this letter is like, here is a list of names of people who've received that treatment before. And we think this is dangerous for a democracy. And we think there is a business model, essentially, that profits from that. And we think that this is not what media should be doing. Well, over close to 400 people signed that. So I think it's a, you know, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> and even when somebody feels compelled to shut down their social media account because of this kind of toxic commentary, that's not necessarily the end of it. One thing that could be tempting to do is to go back into the specifics of, you know, each instance of a person tweeting something or, or saying something and that being taken out of context. So we go back, go back and analyze, like, but it, did they say something wrong and it could be tempting to try to do that in the I guess in the interest of you know accuracy and trying to paint a whole picture just to give you a sense of, of context the letter itself was written by some people who wanted to remain essentially as some of the signatories but didn't want to put their name forwards as the author this is why if you go on the DeVos website you're going to see that there's this one professor, Mathieu Marion, who's been named as the author and everybody else's signatories. But it's just because he he was like, yeah, I'm not at risk as much as, as a backlash. I'm going to be putting my name forward. But people were just even afraid of being a torch bearer for this letter is what I understood from the conversation I know happened as this got published. And so it tells you the level of, of fear that people have in terms of having their own behavior inspected when it comes to them just saying we should be careful about online violence, because that's the thing. It's like there's things that we've learned about violence against women in general, because it is in most instances violence against women and that we seem to forget when it comes to online hate, which is that it's not about what the woman was wearing. It's about the attack that she's received. There are ways in which we can analyze what the person was saying but because we a lot of time confuse actually between criticism of what a person says and what I'm describing which is insults and attack that leads to threats those are very different things and because we're confused about that we want to inspect what the person said that triggered criticism but don't realize that actually what we're describing is not criticism it's verbal violence that leads to threats of physical violence. My frustration is that a lot of the time when people are under the receiving end of that, sometimes maybe they've said something that, you know, politically a little bit, you know, risky or something. But the point is women's freedom of expression should not be conditional to them being perfect. And that seems to be the case is that if you're not perfect, you don't risk being criticized for your ideas. You risk having your children threatened. Yeah. And that's just never, never okay. That's been the situation for a lot of the women who are speaking up, just expressing ideas on, on Twitter. Even when they are doing things that are incredibly prudent, there is still that. That's the part that I think I wish people understood. If we're not making that distinction, it's actually reproducing a cycle that we were very willing to get out of when it came to analyzing violence against women in the physical world and sexual violence. And we seem to still be confused when it comes to online violence, that it's not about what the person said. It's about saying and naming that 
those kind of reactions is never okay, regardless of what the person said. And we're not getting that, I feel, as a society yet. There is still that that impulse to just inspect what the person said instead of inspecting what the reaction is and why that reaction is over the line. I really wish we could change that. I don't think we can have a mature conversation on online hate if we don't look at the way we're focusing on the person on the receiving end of that violence rather than the person doing the hate. I think that's a a good way to think about it. This open letter, I think it's like, maybe everybody should just fucking chill. There is a a commercial infrastructure at work that like really only profits one side. Everybody needs to fucking breathe a second and think about what kind of like world we want to live in, what kind of conversation we want to have. And like, even when you take it to like this being part of our jobs, like, like what kind of scummy business do you want to be in? Like, is, is, is this the stock and trade of what it is to be in the discourse, to be a person of letters, to be uh, in the public conversation? The quotes that are cited in this, in this piece are pretty damning. Emily, like what's the response being to the letter? Has it had an impact? I think so. Obviously, a lot of people who are sharing, quietly sharing, just like saying, here's this letter, and I'm not going to say anything about it because pointing at power or people with a lot of clout in, in, is in, in Quebec is, I mean, is Quebec is so small, right? So people are careful about what they say. But it's one of those things where there's a lot of, I guess, corridor hallway conversations uh, about it. Everybody's noticed that it's out there. I think there needs to be more work to understand exactly how that functions. And the, the reason it's becoming, I'm using the word business model, part of it is because, you know, just algorithms have been tweaked since the invention of social media and now it's basically like rage farming the more reactions the more the stronger the emotions you're getting the more your piece is going to be circulated and at this point if a lot of traditional media are depending on social media to get traffic to their website they're going to be producing content that follows you know facebook rules which is the more egregious the better if people are struggling for profit and there's been some layoff in some industries they're just going to be pushing out more of that content there's a direct business incentive to push out more of that kind of content and so i think it's really important to look beyond the individuals and who said what and also look at why is it that this kind of content is is being pushed out more and more emily that is shortcuts for this week thank you for joining me for it Thank you. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand, and I could be emailed at jesse at CanadaLand.com, and I read all of the emails I receive there. Emily, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter, Emily underscore NI, and people can find me in uh, Le Devoir for my columns there too. And posting Detour. Of course, it's like such the obvious thing. I'm not even naming it. <laughs> you can find me where you're finding this <laughs> podcast and on our own feed now as well. You can subscribe to Detour. Yes, yeah, subscribe directly to Detour. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Tristan Capacchione. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. Theme music is by SoCal. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. Listen, if you like listening to this podcast, maybe you value it. And if you value it, maybe you'll support it. We rely on that. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. And as a supporter, you'll get premium access to our shows ad-free. You'll get early releases and bonus content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Canada Land merchandise, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You'll be keeping this show and all of our work free and accessible to everybody. Do it now. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. 
You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. 